It's a great song, isn't it? That, that's, that's what we want, to be taken deeper than we ever thought possible uh, through the work of the Spirit in our lives. Several weeks ago, we began a mini-series on the spiritual disciplines. We, we began by looking at 1 Timothy chapter 4, where Paul wrote his son in the faith, Timothy, about personal spiritual discipline. He, he said, Timothy, I want you to discipline, I want you to train yourself for the purpose of, to, for the end of godliness. For bodily discipline is only of a little profit. All that time, in other words, in the gym, comparatively, is only of little profit. But now godliness is profitable for all things since it holds promise not only for the present life, but also the life to come. Yeah. It, it's a trustworthy statement deserving full acceptance. For, for it is this for we, that we labor and strive. Wait a minute. I think we labor to strive in the Christian faith because we have fixed our hope on the living God who is the Savior of all men, especially of Believers, okay, so Timothy, I want you to discipline, I want you to train yourself for the purpose of godliness. Yes, we labor, we strive, it's that four-letter word, we work hard with our eyes fixed on the hope that is ours in Christ Jesus, but, but we remember that the disciplines are not the end. They're, they're, that's not what we're pursuing, it's not the goal. They are simply activities, they are practices to help us Pursue the end, and that is, that is to be like Jesus. In other words, we don't, we don't read the Bible to check a box and say, read the Bible. We don't pray, we don't fast so that we can say, look at me, I prayed and fasted today. No. The disciplines are means to the end of godliness, which I'm suggesting is being like Jesus. Jesus. Well, that brought us to the definition of spiritual disciplines. I suggested, in fact, that that word disciplines may not be the best term since it kind of conjures up this idea of human effort, which leads to um, self-righteousness. Nothing could be further from the truth. Maybe we should think of the word practices instead, those practices that we observe. To, now listen, to make room for God's grace to be experienced and then evidenced in our lives. You got that? Uh, practices. But the word disciplines is the accepted term, so we'll stick with it. And so we remember now the definition. A spiritual discipline is any activity that can help gain power to live life just as Jesus both taught and modeled it. Jesus did these things. They are those personal and corporate, although we're kind of focusing on the personal activities which promote and encourage and empower spiritual growth. So, yes, there is a sense in which disciplines are things that you do. They are things that, remember what we talked about this, that disrupt the normal patterns of thought and life to give room for God's grace to work in your life, to make room for his thoughts and his life and his feelings to flow through you. And so with that definition, I suggested there can actually be 
lots of disciplines. Some people think of any activity as a means of growth in Christ's likeness. I suppose that's okay, but their, their lists then become rather long. Uh, others, to include myself, narrow the list and categorize them uh, as disciplines of engagement and disciplines of abstinence. Disciplines of engagement and disciplines of abstinence. Disciplines of engagement are those things that we normally don't do, but now we're going to choose to do them. And, and disciplines of abstinence, we refrain from what we normally do. I'm going to put those things aside. I then gave you a, a list, uh, certainly not exhaustive, which I have sought to cover, at least in part, over the past few weeks. Disciplines of abstinence, solitude, silence, fasting, frugality or simplicity, and sacrifice. Disciplines of engagement, reading or studying or memorizing or or taking in the Bible, worship, celebration, service, prayer, meditation, confession, and submission. These are typically on the lists. And so we began with the big three. Bible, you're taking it in, prayer, and, and fasting. But all of that got me to thinking, how... You know, I've had a couple of weeks as we, we looked at Palm Sunday and Easter, so I got thinking about this series. I thought, really, come on, how effective is this series anyway? Ah, sounds good. But, but I have to ask, are these various disciplines kind of like New Year's resolutions? You know, you've left making commitments to, you know, read the Bible more, to pray, and maybe even to fast, but then Monday came and you found yourself distracted by the demands of everyday life and you just kind of forgot. And so I thought, man, it would be really great to know. That it would be great to take a survey this morning to find out how we're doing. How, how you found yourself, if you have found yourself more drawn to the Bible, have you found yourself more drawn to prayer? Have you tried fasting? I mean, since we talked about it, I'm not talking about getting ready for colonoscopy. I'm, I'm talking about since we talked about it for spiritual purposes. So let's find out. We can because we have the technology. So right now, I need everybody to take out your cell phones. I know you have them. So you need to take them out right now. I'm giving you permission. Take your cell phones out. Get them out of your purses. Get them out of your pockets. Make sure they're on, but silenced. <laughs> Got them? Okay. We're going to take a survey. This is a scientific poll. It's confidential, so you can answer. In fact, I need you. I expect you to answer honestly. Uh, we are not the NSA. We're not going to track, track you down based on your phone numbers. Okay? I have three questions that go with these three disciplines that we've looked at. And I'm going to give you time to answer by text. If you don't know how to text, ask your kids. <laughs> okay? So the first question is here on the screen. After our study, don't, do, 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 don't, don't do it yet. All right, look at me. No, look at you. Two of you, three of Stop! You guys are out of control. 
<laughs> Whatever. Okay, for those of you who know how to follow instructions, after our study on the discipline of the Bible, which I suggested is foundational to the rest in order to, for us to be transformed to the image of Christ, the, the process must begin with the Bible. Here's a question. Over the past few weeks, have you read and studied your Bible more? Here's how this works. You're going to send a text to in the, in the two. Instead of putting a name, you're just going to simply put 22333. That's going to be the addressee in all, of, all three questions, 22333. And then in the message, simply type your answer. Don't do it yet. All right. What are you doing? <laughs> this is so bad. You guys are bad. All right. Because I have something for you. For, first question. Don't do it till I say go. Have you found yourself in the Bible more? Text in um, going up. It's not case sensitive, but it is space sensitive, so no spaces. Going down, no changes, or go home. That last one means you've just come from another church. Get that? What is the Bible? Okay. Um, are you ready? So I'm going to give you time. And in fact, I'm going to ask Jacob if he could go ahead and come up and, and give us some help. Okay? We're taking a survey. So Jacob, go, go ahead, go, go, like right now, go ahead, give us something. <laughs> no, 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 something a little more simple. That's good. Okay, now, for those of you who can follow instructions, go ahead and answer the questions, uh, answer this question. While Jacob plays for us, I'll give you a few seconds. Oh, by the way, you can share your cell phone with the person next to you because we've set this up to take multiple answers. Wow, look at that. Thank you, Jacob. You done? Anybody need more time? You can just keep on answering. That's fine. That's pretty good. It looks to me like after our time in the Word, that 75 of you, 76 of you left with, and you actually did spend more time in the Word. 12 of you said, ah, your sermon was so sorry, I actually spent less time uh, in the Bible. That's encouraging. Um, 65 apparently already spent time in the Bible. Um, and then a couple of you need to find another church. Okay, second question. Have you found yourself praying more? Simple question, text of the same, 22333, chatty, quiet, even, meaning you say the same, or funny guy, which means you're praying this poll will be over quickly. 45 seconds, now go. Jacob, take it away. That's pretty good. About the same number of responses, about 155, 160 responses. That's fantastic. And it looks like more of you. Oh, no, wait, stop. <laughs> I can't report on the survey. It looks like a number of you um, had a good prayer life and were continued with that. Some of you prayed more, which is encouraging. Let's go ahead and go to the last question on the screen. This one is Have you fasted since? We talked about it. 
Text to 22333, standard text messaging, texting. What is that? How do you say that? Come on, Ryan. Where's Ryan? Apply. Um, fasting for yes. Feasting for no. Hungry, meaning when's lunch. 45 seconds, go. It's kind of what I expected. <laughs> uh, this is really bad. I'm changing my sermon this morning. We're going to go back to Matthew 6 and fasting. <laughs> Isn't that funny? <laughs> okay, it's not, not, not bad. 15 of you fasted over the last few weeks, which that's good. Not bad. Nothing like, uh, thank you, Jacob. Appreciate that very much. Give him a hand. <laughs> By the way, I, I wanted to do this for a long time, this kind of audience participation thing, but it was always expensive. We checked it again and the prices come down. In fact, you could buy a one-month subscription to this um, uh, program, which we bought really cheap, and uh, so <laughs> who knows what you're going to see over the next, I mean, we got a one-month subscription. <laughs> but it seems like based on these surveys that there has been some increase in the practice of the disciplines in order, I'm hoping, to be like Jesus, which is great. But here's what I think. I might be wrong, but here's what I think. I think probably you read the Bible more the week that we talked about it. I'm not going to take a survey. You can put your phones away. Um, you, you found time to do those daily quiet times, found time to read, maybe memorize a verse or two. I think perhaps you prayed more the week that we talked about it. You were more aware of God's presence and spoke to him more frequently. I think you fasted like 15 of you um, that, that likely that very week. But then, hey, the challenges and demands of a very busy life quickly crept back in and you found yourself now, here we are, come on, post-Easter, back into our normal routine, routine. Your intentions were good, but just like those New Year's resolutions, the second week, then the third week came and well, here we are. So I want to encourage you this morning to continue pursuing. The noise and distractions and busyness of life will always, always clamor for your attention and keep you from pursuing Jesus. Remember, we talked about the absolute necessity of scheduling these times or they will not happen. In fact, I was talking to a staff member about this this week. He talked about how that very morning he got up, fixed a cup of coffee, grabbed his Bible. He was ready for the QT. If you're spiritual, you know that's quiet time. And, and, and the first child woke up. He got up, got her breakfast, got her situated, sat back down. And the second child woke up, good intentions, out the window, snatched up by the very good responsibilities of life. So now what do you do? We talked about it. Well, uh, you could just pray, I guess, on your way to work. We don't suggest that you read. You could pray on your way to work. If it just wasn't for those other blasted drivers that you have to occasionally address. And then think of it this way. If you can text, I mean, excuse me, if you can't text and drive, but you can pray and drive, there may be something wrong with your praying. 
I'm just suggesting that. If you can pray and drive, maybe, just think about it, just for your consideration, maybe your praying doesn't have the same attention as your texting. Ah, but you got it in, you can check the box. So as we continue our time in the disciplines this morning, I'm going to cover three of them today, calm down, uh, which will help, I believe, facilitate these first three. Are, are you ready? We are going to talk about silence and solitude and confession. And some of you look at that list and think, I knew it. I knew he was going to try and turn us into monks. No. You see, I, I think the noise and distractions and busyness of life will require us to practice silence and solitude in order to take the Bible in and to pray better. Isn't that what you want to do? We need to cut out the distractions and focus on God. Not only that, I think, now listen very carefully. I think the noise and distractions and business of life keep us from confession. Hmm. They soothe our hearts with a superficial godliness that is devoid of true holiness, which must begin with confession. But I'm so busy with good stuff. It was Martin Luther who said, the recognition of sin is the beginning of salvation. I agree. And I would add the continuance of confession is the beginning, middle, and end of sanctification. Is it possible that the distractions of life have kept you from confession and a healthy relationship with your father? Think of it this way. When's the last time you poured your heart out in grief and confession over some personal sin? I don't have time. Three disciplines today, two disciplines of abstinence, silence and solitude, and one of engagement. Confession. You see, we are typically not quiet, and we are typically not alone. And some of you say, especially you, Scott, so we abstain from talk and noise and chatter and even people to focus on God. And in the noise of life, we often stay busy enough to keep us from confession. And so in this discipline of confession, we force ourselves to engage in reflection, self-examination, confession, and repentance. So let's start with solitude, silence and solitude, since they typically go together. Most people have them uh, in the same chapter of their books or at least side by side. Donald Whitney defined them as follows. The, the discipline of silence is the voluntary and temporary abstention from speaking so that certain spiritual goals may be sought. Have you ever noticed, whether you are the speaker or the listener, that talk just seems to fill empty space? We can't do silence. 
so it keeps us from communion with God. Secondly, Whitney says, solitude is the spiritual discipline of voluntarily and temporarily withdrawing to privacy for spiritual purposes, just you and God. The heart of solitude is, at the heart of solitude is primarily about not doing something. Just as fasting means you refrain from eating, so solitude means you refrain from society. Yeah. We withdraw from conversation. We withdraw from the presence of others, from noise, from the constant barrage, barrage of stim- stimulation. Some of you would not know what to do if you were locked into a room without people or your electronic devices. Some of you say it better be a padded room. Together, one blogger writes, in solitude and silence, you're learning to stop doing, stop producing, stop pleasing people, stop entertaining yourself, stop obsessing, stop doing anything, except to simply be your naked self before God and be found by Him. Those periods of time, maybe a few, an hour, a few hours, maybe a day, it may be a few days. We are not talking about withdrawing and becoming a hermit. We're not talking about taking vows of silence or living in a cave. We're talking about temporary times to reflect, meditate, pray, to seek the Lord away from the normal distractions and chatter, even our own noise that fills the silence so that we can focus on God. Some of us are so noisy, we wouldn't hear the voice of God if he spoke. John Ortberg says further, solitude is the one place where we can gain freedom from the forces of society that will otherwise relentlessly mold us. You do understand that's what society wants to do. It wants to press you into its mold. It desperately wants you to be just like them. The truth is, he says, that we live in a lethal environment. American society is filled with ideas and values and pressures and temptations about success and security and comfort and happiness that we will not even notice unless we withdraw on occasion. You'll be like the world and you won't even know it unless you withdraw. We don't like, if we're honest, we don't like silence and solitude. In fact, did you notice we had to fill the silence with some music so you could complete the survey? Sometimes when we're silent in here, we give you time to pray. Some of you, all of your thinking is, wow, it's quiet. You're thinking, where's the music underscore? Some of you can't study or read or pray without background noise. It's interesting to note, as you drive down the street, notice the number of people running or walking with earbuds in. When is the last time that you drove to work without the radio on? When is the last time that you read without background noise, without music? When's the last time that you were quiet and just listened? So what's the biblical support for silence and solitude? You're wanting to know that. I knew you would. We remember uh, that Jesus himself often practiced 
and taught these disciplines. We already noted that Jesus often withdrew from the crowds and even his disciples in order to pray, spend time alone with his father. If Jesus needed to do that, how much more we consider the following examples. The story that we've seen already in Matthew 4 and Luke 4 is when Jesus was led um, by the Spirit into the wilderness. 40 days. This is a lengthy period of praying and, and fasting, no doubt, but of necessity, also a time of solitude. And in fact, it's interesting that in Luke's account that Jesus was led into the Spirit full of the Holy Spirit, but when he came back, Luke says, he came in the power of the Spirit. Because you see, he did that right before he entered his public ministry. In other words, Jesus prayed and fasted in solitude, preparing himself for the ministry that he was about to engage in. In fact, in Luke chapter 6, we read that once he went up to the mountain to, to pray, spent the whole night in prayer alone with God, came down the next day and then called the 12. Not only did he spend time in prayer and solitude for his own ministry, but for calling others to ministry as well. That's interesting. In Matthew chapter 14, we hear, after hearing about John the Baptist, again, we read that Jesus went up to the mountain by himself to pray, and he was, quote, he was alone, he was there alone. In times of grief, Jesus wanted to be alone with his father. But it's interesting to note that Jesus, this time, actually sent the disciples and the crowds who were seeking him away. Don't miss that. Because we can always use the demands of life. We can even make it spiritual. Got ministry to do to keep us from spending time alone with God. Jesus did not do that. By the way, it was after he came down from the mountain that he walked on water. Now, certainly he was God in the flesh. But I find it interesting that it was after his time on the mountain alone with the Father that he was empowered to do the miraculous. Mark chapter 1, we read another interesting account. He came to a city in Galilee that evening after the sun had set. People were bringing to him all who were sick and demon-possessed. says that very specifically. And he healed them. After that challenging evening of ministry, we read that he rose early in the morning, left the house, went to a secluded place, and was praying. Peter, the other disciples, uh, went looking for him, found him, and said, Hey, Jesus, everybody's looking for you. That's interesting. What's interesting to note is that Jesus found time to be alone before entering his ministry and after doing ministry, healing people, driving out demons. He needed times of quiet prayer with his father away from the, he, the, 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 the crowds before and after ministry. He did the same thing in Luke 4 where we read that after a period of ministry, quote, when, the, when day came, he left and went to a secluded place and the crowds here they are again, because your schedule is always going to be clamoring for your attention. The crowds were searching for him. Work to be done. Ministry, Jesus. You got to heal. You got to teach. And yet Jesus still took time, because I would say in the flesh, he needed that time with his father. 
Think of the excuses available to him, to Jesus. Think of his excuses. I'm really, really busy. Lots of things to do. Noise and distractions of life. It just seems like everybody needs a savior. It's not what he did. Then, of course, as he faced the inevitable suffering of the cross, he spent time alone with his father in the garden of Gethsemane. He ended his ministry the way it began, with the practice of solitude. I could suggest that each of the greatest, perhaps the greatest men of both the Old and New Covenants, Testaments, Moses and Paul, were shaped by their own times in the wilderness, in virtual isolation with God. Moses, 40 years in the desert. Uh, 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 Paul, three years in the Arabian desert. Because you see, it is in times of silence and solitude when we are alone with God, perhaps not even listening to our own voices, that we can clear the clutter and God can speak most clearly. Whitney suggests the following benefits, the following reasons for silence and solitude. I'm not going to take the time to expound on these, but just consider these. Silence and solitude provides opportunity to follow Jesus' example. If we're wanting to be like Jesus, don't you think we should do what he did? Uh, to hear the voice of God better. Sometimes in the noise, we can't hear anything. To express worship to God. Doesn't that sound sweet? To express faith to God. You say, how does this express faith? Because what you're saying when you withdraw is, God, I think you can handle your universe without me. I'm just going to spend some time with you. To be physically and spiritually restored. Aren't you in need of that? Don't you need that right now? To regain a spiritual perspective, to seek the will of God about a specific event in your life. And I love this last one, to learn to control the tongue. <laughs> if this thing is always moving, you never practice, you never train to keep your mouth shut, then this tongue, which is a, a, a deadly evil, an unruly evil, full of deadly poison, you'll never know how to control it. Good reasons to consider these disciplines. As I talk about silence and solitude, it may cause anxiety. You may say, gosh, I really don't like being lonely. I'm not talking about loneliness. We're talking about cultivating and understanding that you are, in fact, never alone. Do you hear me? Richard Foster writes, loneliness is an inner emptiness. You don't have that as a child of God. Solitude is inner fulfillment. If we possess inward solitude, we do not fear being alone, for we know that we are not alone. Neither do we fear being with others, for they do not control us. In the midst of noise and confusion, we are settled into a deep inner silence. Whether we're alone or, 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 or among people, doesn't matter, because we carry with us, I love this, the portable sanctuary of the heart. It's been cultivated. We can handle people. Can I suggest that if you've got a short temper, if you're struggling handling people, it might be that you just need to take a retreat, spend time with God to be re-energized. I want you to think of silence and solitude as an antidote, though, to hurry. Many of my books on the subject talked about hurry, not busy, but, but hurry. 
They suggest that Jesus was busy but never hurried. Big difference. Uh, John, Pastor John Orberg actually titled his chapter on this subject of solitude, An Unhurried Life, the Practice of Slowing. You see, hurry is, a, is desperate. It's the opposite of that inner quietness of soul. Dallas Willard says it this way, hurry is the great enemy of spiritual life in our day. There's a difference between being busy and being hurried. Busy is a condition of the body. Having many things to do, that's fine. Hurry is a condition of the soul in which I am so preoccupied that I cannot be fully present to God or, or to people. I'm, I'm so preoccupied because I have a hurried soul because I haven't spent time with the Father. Jesus was often busy, he said, never hurried. He was never hurried to be present with God or to be present with people. I'm suggesting it's because he cultivated an inner peace through those times of silence and solitude with his Father. Let me quickly give you two practical thoughts. I'm just about done. Two practical thoughts about these practices of silence and, and solitude. Think of, of, of finding those opportunities for silence and solitude in two ways. First, there are those daily opportunities that already exist. What are they? Those first few moments when you wake up before your feet hit the ground. You stop and spend time listening, talking to your father. Those times between tasks and phone calls and emails and texts Times that you need to just stop and be quiet and breathe and pray and listen. The world's not going to miss you for five minutes. One author suggests that we close the door to the office and remind ourselves that door and that office will one day be gone, but we will still belong to God. Perhaps use the time before you go to sleep at the end of the day when it's just you and your Savior. You see, what we do is we intentionally build moments of solitude in our life before God. It's going to take practice, you see. Uh, but the second way is really the one I want to talk to you about. The second practice of silence and solitude are extended periods, and these times must be scheduled. You write them down in your calendar. It may be an hour. It may be a few hours. It may be a day. It may actually be a few days. When you get alone with God, you quiet your soul before Him and you rest. You rest in His presence. As I was writing this this week, I thought, you know, I can remember doing that. Can you remember those times of personal spiritual retreats? You ever done that? How many of you have ever, have you ever done that before? Just a time, hour, days of personal. Did you find that refreshing? Then why did we stop? I, I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to schedule one right away. Maybe uh, a, just a long a walk that you take alone. So you see someone in church and they just walk right by you and smile. Don't say anything. Don't stop to talk to you. They're spending time with the Lord. 
It might be a room to which you retire without outside stimulation, meaning no cell phones, no iPods, no music, no TV, no radio, maybe just a Bible, nothing on the to-do list, nothing on the to-do list. Well, you say, I got to, I got No, it may take, it might actually take hours before you can forget the to-do list. It'll be there when you get back. It's just you and the quietness of your heart before God. And if the thought of that brings anxiety, it might be that you are living a hurried life. One author titled this, his chapter on this subject, Solitude, Wasting Time with God. Very quickly then as we close, I want to talk about silence and solitude as an opportunity for personal reflection and necessary confession. It's very interesting to me as I did my study that many lists, many books contain entire chapters on confession. A confession, we know, is simply acknowledging that we are guilty of what we've been accused of, that, that we are wrong, and so we seek both forgiveness and renewal so that we can put away the guilt This is an entirely different discipline. If I wasn't so hurried, I would take an entire week to cover it. But here's what I want you to consider. I think these two disciplines of abstinence, silence and solitude, go with this one discipline of engagement, confession. Because you see, we are typically so hurried, so busy, so distracted that we don't take time for reflection, self-examination, confession, and repentance. We can actually go for days and never even think about the fact that we did something sinful today. When's the last time you poured your heart out to God in confession? I'm not talking about, God, sorry I did that today. Now let's move on to the next topic. truth is, if we slow down too much, we might have to deal with our shortcomings, our mistakes, our failures, and our sins, and so we keep it going, like the proverbial hamster on a wheel, never slowing down, never reflecting, never convince, uh, confessing, convincing ourselves that we are, we're okay, we're just busy, never dealing with that creeping darkness in our souls. Some of you, your relationship with God is cold, and it's been cold, and you need to take some time with Him. If we take times of silence and solitude, we may hear God's still, small voice calling us back to Him. I understand when we are saved, when we are born into the family of God, we are saved forever. We never have to worry about a loss of relationship. You will always be God's son or daughter. But sometimes, sometimes the sweetness and closeness of fellowship is lost through disobedience. And you know what I'm talking about. We must take the time necessary to confess and repent. Again, not to restore relationship. That's always intact but to restore the sweet fellowship. And so, can I encourage you this week to consider taking some time, perhaps an hour or two, maybe half a day. Some of you could take a day 
to spend time alone with God, to rest in his presence, to reflect, to confess, to repent, and to find again the closeness of the fellowship that he desires with you and for which your heart yearns. In fact, I'm going to go ahead and ask the worship team to make the way to the front. Um, I'm going to give you some time right now while they're coming. Um, they're not going to play. <laughs> no background music. I'm going to give you some time, just you and your Savior right now. I'm going to ask you to bow your heads and close your eyes as much as possible. Um, close out the distractions. I don't want you to think about where I'm going to lunch. I don't want you to think about everything you have to do this afternoon. Here's what I want you to think about. I want you to think about your father. I want you to think about the fact that he desires a deep and meaningful relationship with you. And here's what I want you to do. I want you to think about, I want you to think about committing to spending some special time with him this week. An hour, half a day, whatever you've got time for. Spend some time right now talking to him.